Welcome to The Art Show by Teapotcast with your host, Milo H.G. Waters. This podcast contains mature content. To find out more about this week's artist, check the description below. But for now, sit back, pop the kettle on, and enjoy the conversation. Welcome, one and all. It is my pleasure to introduce Sebastian Angborn, general creative... um, teacher, actor, many, many things that I'm sure we'll get to discuss soon. Um, I've attended one of his workshops. It was a fantastic, incredible experience. uh, And it is my pleasure to have him on today. So Sebastian, I have to ask, what is in your teapot? Uh, I wouldn't be an Australian if I if I didn't have beer in my teapot. So I've just I've just (laughs) cracked one for 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 you and in your honor. Because you guys aren't getting to the pub much these days, I hear. (laughs) <laughs> no i i can't remember what the inside of a pub looks like it's been that long <laughs> oh man well yeah i mean i'm i'm very i'm in the northern territory at the moment in darwin and uh it, it's kind of surreal you know because we've got a very small population in here and they they came down with the the lockdown laws quite quickly so our border got closed um due to our ind- indigenous population and so life has kind of been relatively normal apart from the fact that People can't really come and go as they please. All right. Well, I mean, that's it. Sounds a lot better than it's going here. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway. So. Um, okay. Well, tell you what. Why don't you introduce yourself first off? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and kind of how you got there. And then uh, we were having a really, we started a really interesting discussion before we uh, before we hit record. So we'll we'll jump back to that. But why don't you tell us, uh, yeah, a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm currently the screen industry development manager uh, in Darwin for Screen Territory. So we're a, a government based funding agency. Um, I guess much like uh, you would have in England in terms of, uh, I know they used to have the Midlands funding agency and stuff like that. And in Scandinavia, they have um, Feel Me Vest and and such. Um, So that's what I do at the moment, but I'm originally a Swede. Um, I started acting when I was uh, eight years of age uh, as a way to learn English. And the bug kind of caught. So I continued my acting staff all the way through my teenage years. Uh, managed a couple of scholarships. And by the time I turned 18, I really had a choice where uh, I was being encouraged by my mentor at the time to audition for NIDA, the National Institute of Dramatic Art, um, which is where Kate Blanchett and, and Mel Gibson, among many others, went. Um, but I really didn't want to be an actor that sat around and, and waited for other people to give me an opportunity to act. So mm-hmm. um, I managed to score myself a, a scholarship to Bond University, and I actually studied a Bachelor of Film and Television, uh, majoring in screenwriting and cinematography, because I really wanted to make my own stuff. Um, yeah. And so I finished that. I went, okay, well, this whole acting thing really hasn't gone away. So um, I went and studied at the Atlantic Theatre Company, for a little while studying oh. practical aesthetics um which was a fantastic experience and i would recommend it to anyone um and i guess that really introduced me to a whole new philosophical way of looking at, at acting training and, and being creative uh, i then returned to australia um a couple of my old lecturers were putting together a writer's room so um, they approached me and, and i spent a year with those guys really deconstructing story for about six to seven hours every week um, whilst writing my first feature film script. Um, and my my mentor at that time was a guy called Sean Casinger, who um, uh, is the associate chair of filmmaking at, at SCAD over in Atlanta. And he was doing a PhD at the time of Gnostic philosophy and film um, because, you know, why not? And um, he really, I guess, opened up storytelling in a way that I hadn't experienced as an actor either. So looking at the macro and, and the philosophical and the thematic, because I think a lot of actors, you know, when we're training, we get stuck in purely deconstructing scenes or when we are talking about long form scripts and, and plays and, and films, we tend to be quite broad, I think, in terms of dealing with the thematic ideas of, of a piece and, and um, diffused in our interpretations of it um so that was really valuable 
Um, I took those skills. I got employed by the New York Film Academy for a little while in Australia to rework their acting and film programs. Um, I worked for them for about five years, uh, ended up being the senior academic manager down in Sydney, um, putting together a, a acting and film program down there, which I'm actually really quite proud of. Um, and, and their whole ethos at the time was, um, you know, learn by doing. And, and so those kind of students were doing 40 hours a week of really making films. Um, and in terms of the actors, I guess, really making sure that their acting muscles were getting worked every single day for eight hours a day um, to identify habits and how that related to storytelling. And, and in fact, we began their courses with a, a class called um, uh, Psychology of Acting, where we really examined and pulled apart their ideas of what truth was, what meaning was, why were they doing this, what was story, why is story important, um, what is an actor's role in the story. Um, and then when my time came to a close there, I did freelancing for a while, did some master classes, uh, and now I'm in the frontier lands of Darwin, helping to build a yeah. film industry, um, which is exciting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, oh, God, there is, uh, there's so much in there I want to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Um, but, okay, so um, uh, when, we were, when we were talking before we hit record, um, mm. you asked me to, to introduce you as a, as a general creative, and, and we were both kind of... Um, we find this question really difficult of, of <laughs> defining right. ourselves as as creatives into into a sort of narrow box of actor, producer, yada yada, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, could you? I suppose what I'm asking is, uh, could you tell me a little bit about the different uh, the different fields that you've studied, from mm. acting to uh, story class now? Uh, storycraft even now more sort of behind the scenes stuff um could you tell us a little bit about them and how they how they link together um both in a i'm interested in kind of like you know in terms of your practice and artistically how does how does learning about story affect how you act and vice versa and things like that but i'm also interested in the uh in the practicalities of it like what what does that mean um in terms of getting work paying bills keeping yourselves alive when yeah. you've got multiple skills multiple disciplines that you can work with um sure. so i realize that's that's kind of not a question that's a very broad <laughs> sort of uh lead but yeah um yeah is that so you can run off for a bit yeah look uh i mean i think you know, when, when we first encountered each other in, in Romania um, mm. during that master class at, at the National Theatre Academy, um, it always comes back to story, you know. Um, mm. and, and the reason for that is, is you know, multiple. Um, but humans, we contextualise our reality through story. Um, yeah. And we share information and knowledge to one another through stories um, because it allows us a level of disassociation um which means you can swallow the facts i guess easier you know it, it, like c.s yeah. lewis has a beautiful quote of um you know a myth is is a falsehood used to communicate a truth um and i think it's a really useful way to operate out of regardless of your creative endeavor um i also think that at the moment with the amount of disruption that you're getting and the amount of white noise with social media, with um, web content, with more screens than ever before, you know, I guess the pathways aren't quite as clear cut. Like back in the day, um, you know, before streamers, before YouTube channels were a thing, before Instagram, you, you know, you went, you studied, you got an agent and the agent repped you and you went to auditions and, you started building a career one one play one project at a time um now there's a whole new dimension of profile of um creators of content rather than defined roles um as we just you know discussed before 
we hit record, more and more you're now seeing A-list actors coming on in an EP capacity because they want a back end because, you know, at, at some point the career is going to end and, and the level of business sophistication, I guess, has increased, um, as has the levels of distribution opportunities, which means that um, you're, you're really having to, to diversify. And, and the problem with when you overly diversify is sometimes we forget a core competency. And I think the core competency for all creatives, whatever you're doing, is is story. Does that answer the mm. question? I'm not sure it does. That, yeah. <laughs> well, it's. Uh, I mean, whether it answers the question or not, that was. Yeah, that's really interesting and makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think. Uh, I think as well. One thing I um I'd like to sort of add into that is uh, I don't think this is. Uh, this kind of phenomenon of um of having to diversify our skill sets and and being more focused on on uh, profiles and things like that like you're saying um i don't think it's unique to um to the creative industries at all um i think uh you know uh in in this country certainly you hear the phrase gig economy quite yep. a bit um yeah and yep. it's it's this idea that we've you know we've kind of gone from the job market 30 years ago where you know you'd you'd start off at the bottom of a company as an apprentice or an intern or whatever and you'd work your way up and you'd you could stay with that company your whole life and you'd get you know loyalty benefits and all the rest of it mm. and even that was true of uh, of acting to some degree if you go back far enough you know yep. the the national theater was founded by uh Lawrence Olivier after he, he left Royal Shakespeare because not the big actors were were fobbing off to let him have a go at the uh, the main parts <laughs> if I remember that story rightly like yeah, I think yeah, I'm, yeah. I think I'm vastly simplifying that there but you know what I mean there were those pathways of you could you could start at a company uh, you know taking uh, you know small non-speaking parts and if you stuck with them for long enough you know, you yeah, eventually someone's going to get sick and your big break's going to come. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that kind of thing, I don't know. I just don't think that the, uh, the job market is set up for that, um, anymore. No, and, and look, I, I think, I think the point you made about geek economy is, is really interesting because I think it actually, again, it ties back to this idea of story because what story does mm. is story lets you identify what your value system is. Right. And if, you know, I will occasionally browse, I guess, the, the LinkedIn job ads and everything else just, just to stay atop of what the trends are. But especially, I guess, in the States, and I'm not, I'm not sure what the situation is in, in the UK, but, you know, it's, it's a great company culture. Like, we've got, a, yeah. we've got 3G Maxis and, and flexible working hours, and you want to be part of our company culture. Um, or, you know, when I was freelancing, one of the job ads that came up a lot was esports. Uh, you know, and 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 oh, the yeah. requirement was to understand the culture, like culture was a word that constantly came up, um, and and you you know you're spot on. Like the danger with total diversification is that you actually lose what your culture is, um, and that that could lead us into an entirely you know political discussion, I guess, about wokeism and everything else, but. Which are which are all valid things to consider and, and 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 noble ideas, but you've got to be very careful that you know you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And and story is one of the things that allows us to identify where in the bathwater the baby is, I guess. Which is why Shakespeare has stuck around. Which is why you know, check yeah. Chekhov is so important, and and it's one of the foundational ideas behind Joseph Campbell's writing. Although he he cops a lot of slack because, you know, as the founder of the hero's journey, everyone goes, yeah, yeah, it's the same, same, it's formulaic. Well, what in life isn't formulaic? You know, I, I always use yeah. the metaphor of architecture, like the principles of making the building stand up don't really change, but the contents and the design of those buildings can change quite a lot. Yeah. I Do you know what? I remember you saying that in... Uh... Uh, in the workshop of yours, uh, I attended, and uh, it that that phrase did really stick with me. It uh, it made it it kind of made storycraft make sense to me. So um, 
yeah, could you could you just tell us a little bit more about um, about story and uh, yeah, and your ideas about it and how it fits in with other things? Sure. So, um, look, I'm I'm a big believer in, I guess, what you would consider traditional three act structure. I'm a big believer in genre conventions, um, and the reason for that is because, you know, the founder of of I guess the the modern hero's journey, as as we would know it, is Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell was, as most people know, an anthropologist, and and he examined myths from all over the world and realized that there were these structural beats um, that were consistent across cultures. And he was a great student of uh, Carl Jung. And Jung talks about archetypes and the fact that an archetype is the distillation of behavior over generations. Right, um, and one of the things that we explored in New York at, at the um, Atlantic Theatre Company, and, and is very much prevalent in the writings of Practical Aesthetics, is that you know character is action, and I think people yeah. sometimes take that a little bit too literally, um, and definitely early on in my career, myself included, but. It's true. The audience, the the viewer of your story, only judges the character by the actions they take, and there is a direct relationship between the action and the archetype, which is why we have archetypes. Um, and so, I think I, I talked about this in, in the, the master class, and I used to teach it to my acting students here in Australia, is that. If you are finding a, a scene as flat, um, hmm. what you can actually do is put the hero's journey story beats over your scene, okay? Hmm. And some of them will not fit very well, um, which will generally give you a hint that there's a non-verbal moment that's occurring. Um, oh, but the reason okay. that story works is because story is how we psychologically process change. Right, mm -hmm. and for me, the definition of a tragedy is the failure to change. So yes. Romeo is pretty much the same guy in the beginning of the play as he is at the end, right? Um, yeah. As is Oedipus he Rex, can't. apart from the fact that he knows more, but he doesn't necessarily choose to use knowing more in a positive way to change him. He just rips out his eyes, right? Um, yeah. And so, when you start to look at the um, I guess the architectural function, the, the process function of story structure, you can start to go, okay, well, this scene is falling flat because we don't have a rejection of the call, which means there's not, there's no stakes to the scene. Yeah. Um, so, we don't yeah, so have when a you're turning point, adventure, for example. There needs to, there needs to be, I, I say when you're called to a venture, there needs to be that moment of, of doubt or hesitation or turning away because otherwise... Yeah, because otherwise it's too easy to do it, hmm. right? And, you know, I, I can't remember who the quote is attributable to, but, like, I love that quote, you know, drama is life with the boring bits cut, you know, cut out. <laughs> and if it's too easy to do, then who cares? And, yeah. you know, great storytelling should inspire you to do something or teach you a lesson in the case of, of tragedy and give you a moment of catharsis. But yeah. the reason, you know, you dim the lights in th theatres and cinema is because it removes the observational effect. And so now you can really put yourself mm. in the protagonist's shoes and hopefully it will trigger you, the viewer, the audience member, to go, actually, I can deal with those difficult moments. Yeah, I mm. can go for something that I really want, even if the obstacles are huge, even if it's going to, you know, potentially cost me everything. I can be brave. I can be courageous. Yeah. No, absolutely, yeah, and the, and that those are the best stories, aren't they? That uh, that inspire people like that. Um, so I'm just uh, just to, to to bring story to acting again, yeah. Because um, I'm like I'm really interested in this, uh, like you know, um, what you're saying about you can apply you can apply uh, the beats of the hero's journey yeah. to a scene in the yeah. in the microcosm, and it will it will give it a little bit more texture and stuff. Um, You've also spoken about archetypes. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I'm curious, like how much does the archetype of the character mean to the actor? 
Um, is it is it something that they should they should just totally ignore as as theoretical, and they need to focus on on creating this kind of you know authentic persona, or is it something that they should consider because it will give them some insights about that character and how to how to devise it? I'm just yeah. yeah look, I'm just I, I, I think it's a it's. It's definitely a thing to consider because it has, a, a, I believe it has merit and value. Just don't become a slave to it. Like, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, like the director and, and the casting agent have picked you probably because you have some of those archetypal qualities inherent regardless, right? And um, I, I guess, I guess with, with archetypes, it, it really comes down to the actor not fighting against the stream and the actor not going, oh, I just want to be different for difference sake. Um, like, I know that we've played Hamlet this way, you know, like a, an introspective, um, wise beyond his years, very intellectual character right but now we're going to make him an emo and and he's going to have pink hair and we're going to throw queer theory at it I'm like great that's a that's a fantastic academic um you know endeavor i guess um but the issue is to me i just feel like well it sounds like you're just checking checking out to have the full hamlet experience <laughs> right you're just, yeah, you're, just I... you're hide you're hiding behind an experiment rather than going oh okay there there is an archetypal idea here and and the thing about archetypes is that they're they are the the distillation right of behavior so they're they are the idealization of something which means yeah. the likelihood of you meeting it is probably slim to none but man go for it why wouldn't you why would you go oh well yeah other people have tried but they didn't really do it justice so i'm going to do something completely different yeah i get yeah i do get what you're saying there and uh with with shakespeare in particular um i do notice this problem where um i don't know it kind of feels to me like you know we've been telling these stories for so long so many times that the only way we can we can kind of keep them interesting is by throwing gimmicks at them you know yeah. we're gonna do it with the with yeah whatever you, um, you the, the, the counter argument i would say is well how many times have you seen a story about two people breaking up yeah. what's on what's on oh, shortland yeah. street this this week or the bill or whatever like or in yeah. home and away because i know that gets broadcast over in the uk like <laughs> how, how many times yeah, do you want to see two people breaking up hmm. But at the same time, those can be different, unique stories. It's like uh, you know, if you want, if you wanted to do um, Hamlet, but you're you're determined to have uh, Hamlet played by a uh, by a woman, for example, yep. which um, I'm fairly certain it was Hamlet where Maxine Peake played a um, cool. a role. Anyway, anyway, if you're like if you're determined to do that, my question is, why does it have to be Hamlet? Why can't you have another story about you know an introspective um young person who suffered a tragedy and sure. you know is sort of coming to terms with morale uh you know their own mortality and their place in the world and um what to do about it kind of thing like you I, know the, what, the... What, what, what i what i would say is that it it the thing is that's you know that's that's really cool but don't <laughs> shift the focus of what it is like i don't i don't care if it's if Hamlet is male, female necessarily, black, blue, tall, short, identifies as a banana, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, like, just play the point, hmm. right? Don't don't enforce, uh, you know, your, I guess, political viewings or um, whatever is, you know, pop at the time, that you're interested in now upon one of the great works of all time. If you want to do that, if you want to explore those ideas, I would encourage you to, to write it first because yeah. by writing it, you're going to disassociate yourself with the idea for a little bit and you get to examine it from, I guess, a 3d perspective rather than 
trying to live it straight away and and not only live it straight away but now you're trying to shove it into a shoebox that may not necessarily fit yeah no yeah i yeah i get what you're saying i think that's uh yeah i think that's a really really good bit of advice for um sort of you know doing doing classic revivals and things like that um yeah, and to be clear, like you know, I'm perfectly happy to see Hamlet played by um, whoever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Just, yeah. Look, man, like that. It's it's totally valid. I mean, I guess it's a case of, you know, like the great Stephen Fry puts. You know, you got to play elegantly with ideas, and mm. just because someone has a different opinion, like man, I'm not the oracle. Like, God no. knows, God knows, I'm not the oracle. So yeah. they're, they're purely opinions, but I, I just, from, I guess, the, the reading, the understanding of how archetype works in relationship with, with, with story, I, like, that makes sense to me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, yeah, my frustration at Shakespeare just, I think kind of comes from, I'm, I'm just bloody sick of seeing it and I'd rather see, you know, new writing more, but that's, you know, that's me sure. personally, but, um, but yeah. Okay. So, um, we've talked a bit about archetypes and acting and, uh, story and acting. Um, let's, let's talk about, um, general creativity <laughs> um, a bit yeah. more as in, as in sort of, uh, making your own content and stuff like that. Um, sure. I'm, I'm curious if you if you have any thoughts about how how story can uh, inform content creation because yep. I like I see I see there's there, there's kind of two extremes and a sweet spot in the middle and I think <laughs> on on one end of the extreme um, you get um, you get creatives who just kind of take it as a guidebook and and you know follow the beats of the hero's journey as yep. as closely as they can as accurately as they can and sort of treat the whole thing as you know their their template kind of thing and they just sure. add a little bit of flavor on top and then there's yep. the other extreme that kind of like deliberately tries to to break it and and go against it um yep. interestingly i've i've not finished um uh robert mckee's story but um i've like I have covered the bit where he sort of uh, he talks about the different the different types of story, and so it's kind of like if you're if you're deliberately going against it and trying to break it, that's kind of being accounted for in the theory. So you can't mm. get away from it. I think that's why it's such a frustrating theory to learn about because it's kind of like <laughs> yeah. try try, try breaking it. your own psychological process. Yeah, yeah, Good luck exactly. With that. Yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah i'm interested in the sweet spot in the middle where mm. somehow it it the content created feels um you know familiar and recognizable and comforting in that kind of you know we we see the archetypes we see the beats kind of thing but it's still fresh it's still yep. original and exciting and yep. yeah what i'm curious about is how do you how do you find that sweet spot? Yeah. So look, um, yeah. <laughs> you ask all the easy questions. Um, oh, always. I all the time. Yeah. I I think that, and this is just what I've recommended um, to my students, or, or when I'm doing consultancy work, um, is okay. First, just just tell the story, right? Just plot it out. Focus, mm. focus purely on the plot because because the fact is you are trying to articulate something subconscious, whether you know it or not, right? If, if it's a well-intentioned story, if, if you're just writing um, schlock, that might be a different, a different thing. But, and even though I'd say when you're writing an assignment, it's your interpretation. There's something within you. There's, there's a voice, there's a perspective within you, a philosophical viewing of this content that is there. It's inherent. So I always say, look, just just beat it out. Just go, this is what happens. Then identify your story beats. And then we go, okay, now that you've done all that hard work, what are you really trying to say? And sum that up in one sentence. Right? I, it's what I call the thematic idea. Like, 
what is this really about? And then let's look over your plot points again. And the likelihood is that there will probably be some plot points that will need to be discarded, right? Because you're still forming the idea in the beginning and, and you're, you're, you're kind of competing with your own subconsciousness, right? Um, a lot yeah. of it will be, you know, uh, mimics to to things that you think are cool or that that you've um, digested recently. You know, you might have watched Tarantino, and so like, let's have that katana fight scene or whatever, yeah. right? Um, and that's fine. That's cool. That's that's great because what it'll help you actually do is identify what it's really about and what it's not about. Yeah. Um, then once you've identified your thematic idea and you've gone, okay, it it's a story about you know, and I would I would phrase it more actively. So something like, love conquers all, or um, the thing about friendships is that friendships only really matter when when you need them the most, or, or whatever it is that you you're trying to say and that you're starting to identify yeah. in your plots. Then go over it again, okay? Mm. Then once you've gone over it again, give it to someone else to read and take on board their comments. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Listen yeah, to the criticism. Yeah, that's always important. <laughs> yeah, and it's it amazes me how many writers smash out a first draft and expect it to be perfect, and then they get offended or they get their feathers ruffled when someone goes, "I don't get that," or "Hey, here's an idea." Yeah. Like, and you know, I I had this process recently with an extremely experienced Hollywood screenwriter um, who we're working with at the moment, and like this guy's worked with everyone. He's you know he's worked with well <laughs> with everyone and um I, I just went oh look there's a moment here that i think you could probably set up better back in the you know the beginning of the second act uh and there's this whistle motif have you thought about that and the rejection of the call feels a little weak at the moment and man he just went yep you know what those are all really valid points and literally in two days they were in the script yeah um no, fantastic yeah yeah, and, the, the, and, and I guess to some degree too, it, it ties back to the discussion we were having earlier about culture. Like, mm. you know, the old saying is write what you know. Well, it's 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 true. Like, um, that's not to say you can't write things that are not within necessarily your lived experience, but like if you understand the culture, if you understand that little microcosm of um, existence and you have a point of view about it, yeah, man, that's a that's a story. That's interesting because if you have a point of view, I can pretty much guarantee you someone else is going to have a different point of view, and that gives yeah. you a force of antagonism. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it it feels so much more authentic when you know when the story is is rooted in a um, you know a setting, a culture, you know a, a world or whatever that the the author knows so well. Um, yeah, you know it's. Uh, well, I think it's one I think of the reasons, like, at the moment, you know, we here in Australia, um, Screen Australia's Indigenous unit is doing amazing work in terms of empowering um, Indigenous voices in creative. And yeah. one of the things that we insist on is, is having an Indigenous co-creative or key creative um, slash very strong consultation if it has Indigenous um, content in the story and that that is to reaffirm that is, is is exactly what you're saying which is this idea of getting authenticity now again you've got to walk the balancing act of like you know you don't want to be a slave to the factual because if you're going to do factual yeah. i would say go make a documentary like that's not story's yeah. necessary role but definitely authenticity is is important yeah compelling um, even some would say yeah <laughs> Indeed. Um, just uh, just because you've mentioned it, um, maybe we could talk about um, uh, a little bit. I'm trying. I'm trying to sort of figure out what my question is as I'm as I'm forming it here. That's okay. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, yeah, you you mentioned um, you know about working with uh, with indigenous population of Australia yep. in um, uh, in making films, creative endeavors. What uh, whatever the specifics were yeah um i'm curious if you could talk a bit more about how how to handle that because so i like 
I the course I did at university was uh, was world performance, um, mm. where it was all about studying uh, different performance styles from cultures all over the world. Um, yeah. And there's always this sort of this question this that that keeps coming up about you know where what like I guess what I'm asking is. Where is cult? How do you make positive cultural exchange? Yeah. Um, as opposed to negative cultural exchange, where you get into things like appropriation, and yeah. you know you're you're trying to tell other people's stories that you don't really have any any place telling, or you know you. Yeah. yeah and that's what I'm asking about. How do you how do you do cultural exchange in creative endeavors? well um another easy question for you of uh, course. yeah totally absolutely you're raining them in on me today um look i think it's actually it's it's a, it's along the similar guiding principle as what when you're doing like co-productions in screen content right mm. when you do a co-production purely for the financial yeah it very rarely works um it feels hollow, you know, I think it, it ties back to this, this idea of authenticity. I would say, um, A, are you genuinely interested? Mm. Or is it a case of you are just fulfilling a trope or you are just fulfilling a function of plot? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that should be a pretty easy question to answer. And then I would say that, okay, well, if you are genuinely interested, I would go, okay, what do you actually know about it? Hmm. And if the question, if the answer to that question is something like little to, ah, oh, I did this thing once or, yeah. oh, you know, my uncle's, I don't know, step sister, um, or whatever you know had had that experience or is this then you really need to engage them into that discussion and they actually need to um have a meaningful position at the table because if you don't yeah. do that it will come off as hollow um and you will lose your authenticity so i would just yeah. say like you know, at the end of the day, like your your project will improve because of it. Yeah. And if you are not willing to do it, then I would say you you probably either don't need it, or you're doing it for a reason other than that it is an essential part of the story. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? That's like that's really interesting, and the like just just hearing uh, the way you've put that. It kind of sounds like just sort of the the basic principles about being a good author still apply. Like you know, it's it's about being honest with yourself about why you want to tell this story. It's about um, you know actually respecting other people's input and allowing them to have. I think the 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 key point you said there was a a meaningful place at the table. Yeah, you know, it's it's not enough to uh, you know to 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 ask for input and feedback and all the rest of it. If you just I, go you know, I, I always, I always say to inquiring producers, if you feel like you're ticking a box, you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And you're right. You know, if you, if you're doing, it's hard to make anything that is, that is inspiring and energizing to an audience. If your whole motivation for it is, is kind of you know hollow and you know potentially just just selfish greedy whatever it is like yeah um, i also think i also think and and this is something that i probably doesn't get spoken about a lot but man you're more interesting than what you think you are yeah <laughs> you know like there are aspects of your personality and of your lived experience and of your history and your heritage and all the rest of it that you may find mundane but that are 
that is probably quite intriguing to other people. So I would say go mine that backyard first and foremost. And, you know, again, this is, I mean, it's, it's like ironically enough, a loop, (laughs) you know, we respond to authentic, meaningful stories that teach us something or give us insight about something um, and show us a character going through a, a change because of struggles. And if you don't have it, then the likelihood is your parents probably did that. If they didn't do it somehow, then I can pretty much guarantee your grandparents did it. Um, yeah. you know, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So yeah, stick with write what you know before anything else. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, all of that has been <laughs> mad interesting, and uh, yeah, I've gone a bit hard on you, haven't I? No, um, no, that's cool. Like, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> hey, great. It's, the well, beer um, is half empty, so why not? Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> kick it up another gear. Aye. Right. Um. Okay. Well, I did. Um. I did want to potentially wind off the big topics a little bit because yeah. you were um you're working in uh, in funding at the moment and i was wondering yeah. if you could um uh if you had any sort of uh, any advice any words of wisdom for um you know young creatives coming up who who need some money for their projects basically <laughs> sure um look and, and i'll admit my ignorance when it comes to you uk listeners um in the sense yeah, that i i i, I I have very little experience with your funding mechanisms. So, um, but you do have some amazing institutions, you know, in the BFI and, and within the BBC and, and, and your commercials and the fact that, um, you know, there's a whole wide continent um, just across the pond. Like one of the things I always say to my friends in, in the UK when, when I'm over there is like, man, literally right now my closest town um, of meaning is three hours drive away. It's 369 kilometers away. Um, you know, I, I, I recently went to a, a conference two weeks ago where I, I drove a thousand kilometers in a day um, <laughs> just, just to get home. Um, and it's still within the same state. So, you know, the fact that you have proximity to buyers is really important. Um, I think there are, there are a couple of principles. One is... A, believe in your idea Hmm. and make sure that it is compelling to you um, because the likelihood is then that it will be compelling to others. If it's compelling to others, you can start to create partnerships. And I think um, definitely when I was starting off in my career, I I viewed partnerships as something difficult to do and I didn't necessarily put enough value on them, right? So I would say if you have a compelling idea, go around and try to find people who can help you. And by that, I mean they either have more experience than you, in which case you're going to have to sacrifice potentially some of your IP share, but that's fine because they're going to help you get it made, whereas otherwise they won't get made. Um, yeah. They may it's better have sixty percent of something than a hundred percent of a project that's never ex- exactly. Yeah. Two, as soon as you have put your idea down on paper and you've done all the things that we talked about and you've refined it and and you know your your cousin has read it and gone, well, man, that sounds like me. Um, <laughs> then it is no longer your baby; it is now a commercial product. Yeah. Okay. Which means yeah. that, uh, I love this, a, a, a screenwriter friend of mine put it this way, everyone wants to pee on the tree. Okay? <laughs> now, right. you can't let them pee too much because the tree will die. But you've got to let them right. pee on it a little bit, right? Yeah. So you have okay. to go in with the mindset of going, okay, I'm going to let you pee on the tree a little bit because by doing so, you now have some ownership of it, right? Yeah. And then okay. the other thing I would say is, in terms of your funding agencies, um, of your public funds, is call the investment managers. Call them. They're okay. there to, to help you. Um, and don't just call them about 
hey, what money can you give me? Call them and go, yeah. hey, I have this idea and I've, I'm at this stage. I have a treatment and I really need a producing partner or I really need an ex more experienced writer to look at it and guide me through the next process. Man, yeah. if I had more people calling me like that, I would be over the moon. Yeah. But instead I get the phone call of like, when's your next funding round? And then they'll lodge something without talking to me potentially. Mm. And you go, ah, there's some weaknesses here. Actually that project would be terrific if I partnered you up with this particular production company or this producer or this writer or this director. Um, cause I know they're in, in the market for that. Like the thing you have to understand about funding agencies is they get the top down view, mm. right? Because everyone yeah. has to come through there generally in any kind of marketplace that has, um, public, public support available. So, um, I imagine the BFI, for example, are in, invested in a lot of projects. Um, and then the other thing I think is, you know, how do I put this? In terms of your project, where does it fit and what is the format of it, right? And educate yourself on the funding mechanisms as best as you can on the funding mechanisms of the format. For example, okay. we're having a whole bunch of tax offset changes um, between feature films and television series production in Australia. There's also a green paper at the moment about the role of streamers within within our landscape. Get on top of that. Like if this is the if this is the industry that you want to work in, understand what commissioning parties are buying. Um, yeah. Attend their upfronts if you can. Attend their public talks. Um, read the trade articles because it will let you know that oh okay my you know three by one hour series might actually need to be a four by one hour series because that's what uh, you know just theoretically speaking the bbc is commissioning right now and i've heard that because the bbc's factual or drama commissioner or whoever it is said so in the last public outreach session they had right okay like don't be afraid everyone the thing the thing you have to understand as an emerging creative is everyone wants good content everyone yeah do you know don't yeah go oh, in there God. expecting anything but go in there with the humble opinion of going how can you help me hmm. yeah okay i yeah i like that a lot that all yeah that all makes a lot of sense um i mean it's like kind of what I'm what I'm kind of getting in in the broadest strokes with it is um, don't don't kind of create in a void where, you know, you're you're working on your project kind of, you know, by yourself. And the only time you pop your head up to a, a funding agency or whatever is to to ask for money. Like yeah. it's got to be get involved, talk to people, get them excited about your idea, find out what they're doing and see yeah. where you can help each other and, and actually you know integrate yourself into this this industry these networks these people and that's i think that's from my experience it's a really difficult thing to do because it's it's this kind of you know who like where do you start cold calling like where do you find start, these meetings start, that the start other with way? your public institutions yeah that's well there you go i mean straight away you haven't answered me um yeah. Yeah, because that's... because they they're paid to help you. Yeah, ah, yeah. Do you know what that? Yeah, that that suddenly makes them seem a lot less scary when you think yeah. about it like that. Um, and and I think I think you've nailed it. I think a lot of the time we view that there's this glass ceiling of scary producers. No, man, they just what they're time poor. Okay, when you work in this industry. It's long hours. It's it's things happen very rapidly, and, and they're complex dealings. Um, mm. Everything from chain of title to financing, and so if you come in and waste people's time, the likelihood is mm. you will never get very far. But if you come in and go, hey, I just I need your help, and you 
and you genuinely approach them with the willingness to work with them. Now, that doesn't mean that you give up all your VIP and that, you know, you, you, you've got to do a little bit of due diligence. But, man, people have time for you because they want content. Yeah. And you might be able to give it to them. Yeah. And do you know what? That, that line in itself, everybody wants good content, like that, that i don't know man like you said that and something just lifted off my shoulders like that's yeah because you're right you know i think as as creators it's kind of it's easy to uh to forget that that there are you know we we get so attached to the the things that we're making and the reasons why and this that the other that it's, it's easy to forget that you know people want to put this on um yeah. and people want to consume it um, yeah, and it, and it ties back and, to what you said. You know, don't create it in a vacuum because it won't be consumed yeah. in a vacuum. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. That's, <laughs> there yeah. you go. We're we're three that, quarters of the way through the beer. We're making progress. It's good. <laughs> we are indeed. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, so on the flip side of um, of that kind of stuff, then. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, because we mentioned kind of, um, uh, you know, online profiles and, and streaming and making, uh, you know, YouTube videos, online content, wh whatever it is. Um, mm. Yeah. I was wondering if you could just sort of talk a bit about how, how, how the internet and, and all the terrifying wonders that come with it are, yeah. are kind of changing our, um, our business and how as as up and coming creators we can make we can make use of that i mean you know i'm like for example i'm sat here making a podcast online because yep. you know i it's bloody hard to to find uh work anywhere else right now but yeah this yeah. stuff is so important and i don't i don't think anyone has a solid answer yet i think we're we're kind of figuring it out as as the tech develops and as we as a, a society and things adapt to it but um yeah but yeah like so, i was just wondering what your thoughts are look i, I think and to be honest uh, uh, covid's kind of helped in this respect yeah. too it's helped and it's it's completely kneecapped everyone at the same, same time hmm. but um the internet has been great in terms of connectivity in terms of being able to identify things right so whereas you would normally have to you know, I don't know, fly to Cannes or the Berlin Film Festival to get the meetings. Now everyone's used to Zoom. Everyone's used to digital discussions, right? Which is yeah. really helpful. Um, you don't have to go quite to that level, but it just means that, you know, the, the introduction that would otherwise have required a bus, a you know, or a, a car trip or a flight yeah. and hotel and per diems and all that sort of stuff can now be done online and that that's great um but i guess in in respect to your content and making things question like look i think doing stuff like this is awesome because it is proactively based on you it, it hits all of the things that we talked about earlier in the sense that you're identifying a part of culture that you're interested in you know you, you're identifying obstacles you're running into um, you know, we even had a bit of a rejection of the call of like the scary producers and funding agencies, right? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and, and if I can play some level of metaf metaphorical mentor role in the hero's journey to go, ah, well, just go for it and you fall flat on your face. But if you call them three times, I can guarantee by the fourth or third time, um, they'll know who you are and everything will be okay. And the nerves will be all right. And then you're on your own. Um, yeah. when it comes to things like, Instagram, TikTok, all that mm. sort of short form content. There is a whole, I guess, movement of that at the moment. Mm. It's not, I'll be totally honest, it's not a movement that I know all that much about or that I'm that interested in. Um, I find yeah. web series are cool, um, but there's mm. a lot of white noise now, which means that if you're going to go into that web series world, you really need to have a solid marketing strategy around it because you, it's, it's actually one of the cases. And I mean, look, it's, it's with any content, but it's not just going to 
potentially break through the white noise, right? Like no. it's going to cost a little bit of money to like, because it, it's starting to actually become mainstream content almost. Yeah. Um, just yeah. The, 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 I guess the recruitment models are quite different. Um, in terms of like for an actor and, and profiling and stuff, look, I'm not a fan of the Instagram approach. I never have been um, because I think if a producer or director is hiring you based on your bikini shots, um, yeah. you're probably not making the right kind of content um, for your voice and speech teacher. Um, mm. You know, I think that's – and look, it. people have made careers of that, so I'm not going to – speak down to oh, it yeah. it's just not necessarily i guess something that um i i would value or prioritize in my own career and my own advice giving if that's what you want to do fine um i'm i'm not necessarily the person to to get any insight from on that front yeah i mean i yeah i i get what you're saying on the on the short form content stuff like it's it I don't know. I don't even have TikTok. I've never really looked at it. Um, Instagram, I yeah. What is I it? I have, but I never really <laughs> no looked. Idea. At it. I, I should really download it and look at it properly. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, yeah. Like I don't know. Uh, for for me, the the short form content stuff. Like I mean, you, yeah. Maybe you can get somewhere with that, and maybe there is some way it can contribute to your profile. But I I guess what I'm what I'm kind of wondering about is it kind of feels like um you know like uh like like back in the day your your actor's profile was basically like your resume and your headshots yeah. and now it's it's like you know introduction videos what's your social yeah. media saying what's your yeah. youtube channel yeah. this that the other and yeah i'm just sort of like you know it's it's kind of like we we you know we're all building these online personas and yeah. yeah, we we do it anyway, just as people operating on social media, and yeah, I'm just trying Look, to figure I, I guess, out. I guess let me let me put it this way, right? Yeah. I think it's a case of so short form content. Mm. It's what are you going in there for? Are you going in there to yeah. hone your craft and to you know, like when I was working for the New York Film Academy, they made, they made eight short films in a year in in forty weeks. Mm. Right. And I always call the first four short films to the students, the crash and burn films. Like <laughs> you, you, you need to go and crash and burn really badly so that by the time we get to your thesis film, you know what the hell you're doing. Um, yes. If that short form content is something that you're passionate about and, and deals with all the culture and, and interests and authenticity and blah, 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 blah. Um, but man, yeah, go do it. Like, absolutely, because mm. it's 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 a craft activity at that point. Um, when it comes to monetization of it, I'm not the expert on that, um, and I would defer to others. When it comes to the profiling things, um, I think it's a tight rope walk between where you put your energies. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like, like I always use when I'm when I'm teaching this idea of like it's a craft, right? So I'm I'm not, yeah. and I'm I apologize in advance for your comments section now, but um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like method acting, for example. Oh, thank God you said that. I'm um, not either. In the sense of, it's not about you. You're a cog in a machine, and and your job is to as an actor is to show up. And have truthful moments in the moment with another human being, because that's the only thing in the entire setup that is unpredictable. The other human being, right? Yeah. The script, all that shit's laid down. Like everyone knows what's going to happen. What's unpredictable is you. Um, and so to then have an actor show up um, with an ego or a oh well, you know, I had to go through this experience because it's all about me, <clears throat> me. When yeah. the producer, writer, director, whoever has been spending, you know, anything from a year to a decade to two decades to get this thing off the ground, I just find 
kind of absurd. And I always say, like, would you want your plumber to come in and go, look, I just, I just, I just can't do white vanities today. You know, like, like I, I just, I, I went into the shop, I looked at a lot of vanities and, and, and it's just not working or it's, it's just too much right now. Um, or look, I've done the white vanity, but I, I definitely can't do the toilet next because I'm just, it's just too much. Right. Like, yeah. It's a craft. Do your fucking yeah. job. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think I think this is the issue with method acting that it's you know it puts such a, a psychological strain on the actor that you can't do your job, you yeah, know, if effectively anymore. And that's you know, and if that's the case, then it can't be a you know a good technique. That's not to say it can't work for anybody. Like I'm, I'm sure oh, look, it does, there's, but, there's, yeah. there's plenty of merit to it, but it's it's a case of like. I, I always say work smarter, not harder. Like, yeah. Why, yeah. why put yourself through all of that trauma? It's a, it's a job. Um, and mm. I always say like acting can be therapeutic. It's not therapy. Um, so yeah. when you're starting to do things in your job that affect your personal life around you, like if that was the first responder role that you were in, like if you're a police officer or a paramedic and you started mm. bursting into tears, which has happened to me, uh, in the past with with um, an ex of mine who was a method actor, we're eating dinner and all of a sudden she she was doing the um, the crucible and all of a sudden she burst into tears. It's like, if you were a cop, I would be really concerned about you right now. I'd yeah. be like, you need to go and get counselling. <laughs> but for some reason, it's okay with actors because apparently we're totally emotionally unbalanced or something. I mean, um, yeah, I, th I think it's it's it comes back to this sort of the the tortured artist image that i think yeah. culturally we need to really grow out of you know this idea that the the only way to make art is to be you know mentally unstable this that the other um and i think it's it's you know it's it's damaging to artists for Absolutely. the start you know it's yeah and you know like i yeah, I, I I'm gonna, yeah i mean it's like the thing about an artist is, you know, and, and this, I, I'm going to be a little bit more specific, but with an actor is you are the one going on the hero's journey. Like it's, you are going up against obstacles all the time. Like from the moment, from moment to moment to moment, not just on a script level, but you are the one who has to stand opposite another human being and be completely vulnerable and not shy away because every time you do, the audience sees that. We're incredibly social animals. And when you shy away, you teach them, as David Mamet would say, an act of cowardice, right? Mm. And you really need to value yourself enough in that that, that is a big thing in, a, in and of itself. Everything else you don't really need to worry about. Because like we said earlier, like, you know, um, the script is done, the words are done, the actions are done, the set lighting is done, the, the blocking is done, the camera movements are done, whatever. Um, it's those moment-to-moment -moment things. And why you need to have all of this psychological trauma to do that, it just seems like you're not present. You're thinking about something else. Mm. Focus on the person. Yeah. Be generous. Be open. Be courageous. And then learn how to pull yourself out of that state and realize that you're not Abraham Lincoln, you're not, yeah. you know, whomever going through this traumatic thing. You are you, Milo, and you're yeah. acting this role. And now the curtain has dropped and everyone was very impressed with you. And, oh, my God, you were so authentic. Well, yeah, I was authentic because all I was doing was responding to my partner in the moment. And everyone clapped. And now you get to go out and have a cold pint. Well, you don't because you're in COVID lockdown. But you, you get the yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I totally get the point. Um and yeah, that yeah, that makes a makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I've like I've kind of I don't know, like I was uh in my my acting training, I was never taught any kind of reverence for for method acting, and I've always been uh pretty pretty skeptical of it whenever I've encountered it, um, because of all those things that we've just discussed. And uh and yeah, and getting into uh, you know, things like practical aesthetics, um, it just you know, it just goes to show that you can do this without psychologically torturing yourself. And, uh, 
you know that's that's not where it's at so um yeah, I guess nice I, um, I guess you know as as we're coming up to time, I'll just uh, thank you for for introducing me to that and all of this stuff. And um, yeah, my, and, my uh... absolute pleasure. And, <laughs> and thank and thank you for reaching out. Like it's it it, it means a lot. And um, you know, it's anytime I get to espouse <laughs> my my beliefs and hopefully you know encourage some people to to create good work, then I'm you know. I'm I'm very blessed to be able to to receive that opportunity. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and <laughs> thank you again for accepting it. It's uh yeah, it has been a really really insightful conversation here. So um yeah, thanks very much man. And uh yeah, I think we'll uh, I think we'll leave it there. Um unless you've got any uh final thoughts to leave us on. No, I guess just, you know, while while you are locked in whatever state you're in at the moment, you know, that in and of itself is a learning experience and focus on craft and read. And, um, you know, I, I guess value the connections and attach that to the fact that people pay you large sums of money sometimes to, um, to teach them how to make that connection. So I think we're about to go for a boom of storytelling. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Art Show by Teapot Cast, hosted by Milo uh, H.G. Waters. Still playing it week to week, so if any of you folks out there know some great up-and-coming artists who'd like to give an interview, please tell them to get hold of me. In the meantime, take it easy and take care.